Hi, Erin. Hi, Melody. It's so nice to be back doing this podcast. It's been a year and we needed to take a bit of a break because there was a lot going on in our lives and we had sort of had enough of things and needed to step back and take some space, but we're super excited to be back. And we're talking to so many incredible people who are tackling some of the biggest challenges we face as a planet. And certainly for me, it's an antidote to the moment that we're in in this world. Welcome to Enough from Number 29, a podcast for those who are fed up but not giving up. I'm Melody Serafino. And I'm Erin Always. We celebrate people who are tackling our broken systems head on and leaving the world better than they found it. The people who are actually doing the hard work, not just talking about it. We steer clear of climate jargon, eco-anxiety, and greenwashing to focus on more equitable models for doing business and caring for the planet. So we're getting back into things starting at the ground level and nothing can be more grounding than a farm. One of the things that has really caught our attention is this idea of regenerative farming. It seems to be absolutely everywhere. Like everything is regenerative. I think it's actually become confusing in the same way that the word sustainability has. But this episode, I'm really excited because you're actually going to take people into the world of regenerative farming and really help to define it. Yeah, we're talking to some farmers in Northern California Alexander Family Farms. The farm has actually been around for about 25 years now, and Blake and Stephanie, who are married to one another, are actually both fourth-generation farmers, and they met in college is how this all really came together. We met at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and Ag University. I was an ag business major and a sophomore, and Blake was a dairy science major, a senior. And I thought he was cute. I grew up on a dairy farm and always loved the cows. So meeting Blake, a pasture-based dairy farmer, just took me to a whole new level of an appreciation for what grazing is and what we do today. I have to say, I'm not just saying this, your yogurt is now my favorite. And I am really astounded by everything that you all have done and built. I know how hard it is to to build a business and certainly to do it in a way that is environmentally conscious, thoughtful, and doesn't just take back from the planet, but really gives back. Can you talk to me about your farming practices? I want to hear about the regenerative farm farming work that you do. Yeah, well, thank you for the compliment. We manage a lot of land, a lot of acreage, somewhere around eight to 9,000 total acreage. But the majority of our land is right here on the north coast of California. The term regenerative, it's like a new word to describe something that we were already doing and, and basically honoring a system I, I think that God put in place from day one, which is all the biology and understanding what's in the soil and under the ground and, and simply doing the right thing to to not cause any harm and, and paying attention to that. And then there's just a whole cascade of beautiful things that happen from there. I would also add that we're super thankful that early on in our daring days as a couple that on our farm, we were taught about organic matter in the soil. And to grow organic matter is feeding that those good bacteria, the biology in there. And that became really important. And then also in our early years, it was the time when we started seeing more environmentalism. And we realized, oh my goodness, we're the biggest environmentalists. We're the farmer trying to make it better. We had this these beautiful swales in the field that were creeks. And then we started 
planting trees around them and fencing the riparian zones. And just the beauty started appearing. We just had this vision that we can make this land better and we can take care of it. And so we just naturally, as Blake said, tried to do the right thing in every turn for our land. And here we are today, and it has a meaning called regenerative agriculture. Yeah. I want to acknowledge you've built a business over decades together, which is so nice because it's clearly this labor of love that is about doing the right thing at every turn. Well, we went organic as a business decision. And how do we be organic farmers? We went to the Midwest to a conference. Acres USA is for organic farmers, really, or how to be organic and do things. A lot of educational things there. And the keynote speakers was they were doctors making a difference in people's lives, teaching people how to go to the farm instead of the pharmacy, go back to our wisdom of ancestral eating. And at the same time, Blake was learning more about the soils and grasses. He had this passion for soils and grasses. And I had this passion for one, we had five little kids at the time and feeding them better. How did we eat 100 years ago, 200 years ago? And then we also had our calf program. So I was in charge of our baby calves. And that was the hardest part going organic for calves. And, and we we took those next steps of learning how to feed them differently and and doing the things to grow healthy calves organically, moving them to little hutches where they're outside in the environment and getting that ventilation so their lungs are always just healthy and aren't susceptible to pneumonia, things like that. Can you talk about, because there's obviously organic and people can look at that organic label, but going to regenerative farming, what was that process? How, how long did it take you? Can you describe it a little bit? Because I think that this term gets thrown around so much now and people are excited about it. But I, I, I would love for people to understand that whole process. Great question. I, I think I would start by saying that I, I believe regenerative is is way more important than organic at, at this point. Organic is, is about not using pesticides and herbicides and 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 a lot of the fertilizers that are available, uh, synthetic fertilizers, and and of course we won't want to do those in in a regenerative system. So they don't make any sense in regenerative either because if you're paying attention to the biology and the soil and you're doing the right thing, none of those things are beneficial. You pay attention to the soil biology and you build carbon in the soil and, and that carbon is in the form of organic matter and it just snowballs in a positive way. Every year, your yields and your productivity will go up. Your water holding capacity will increase. You won't need as much irrigation in the dry season and you'll be able to infiltrate a lot more water during the wet events. And, and so we have simply learned all that by trial and error and then reading a lot of books and attending these conferences just like Stephanie was mentioning, and, and getting to know people who are really experts at it, and then just piecing it together and, and changing our farming practices and our grazing management practices so that you know we're in harmony with nature. And the benefit of this is is, is twofold. One is yields go up, so you, your, your costs can go down and yields go up, so your profitability is there, which is the ultimate indicator of sustainability. We can't have sustainability if we're losing money every Every year and, and you know the, the other big benefit is literally putting nutrition back in our food and, and putting the culture back in agriculture. I'd like to just touch on the carbon piece real quick because we're kind of conservative farmers and, and when global warming issues started coming around and, and we're hearing both sides of the equation, you know it, it was rather confusing and until we finally 
understood what was going on. We we knew that we were supposed to build organic matter in soil because that that brings a lot of tilth and health to the soil and water holding capacity. It literally acts like a big sponge in the soil. And for every point of organic matter that we increase, we, we can hold another 20,000 gallons of water or moisture per acre in the root zone where where it belongs. And, and so the reality of that is when we used to irrigate during the dry season of five to six months, we would water the fields every eight or 10 days. And now we're, we're more like 30 days and we could go 50 days. It's a lot more efficient and it's simpler and yields are up and the grasses are healthier. And, and so it just snowballs in a very positive direction. I love that. Also, the description of culture and putting it back in agriculture versus agribusiness. I'm never going to unhear that and think about the culture of agriculture and how we grow things, especially because how we gather is so often around food and having beautiful food. It really is a reflection of what goes into it. And you're thinking about the soil, the cows, everything that you raise on the land. You know, I see what's happened with agribusiness, not just dairy, but with everything, but that people are squeezed and need to do more, that often it's really cranking on the land and doing more harm because it takes more money to set things up to have a yield later that allows you to go those 50 days potentially without having to irrigate or water the land. Do you have any advice for people in terms of doing the right thing by the business in planning for things up front that might squeeze you a tiny bit, but ultimately will yield the best results. Sure. I don't really know your audience, but some of them might have a potted plant in the house. Some might have a garden, some might have a yard, and some might have a ranch, right? And so I think this advice is the same for everybody. It's it's engage in some of these regenerative practices. Pay attention to the biology. Quit putting the chemicals in in the soup and they will grow and prosper. For us on our farm, our compost system is just amazing. So we have naturally the manures that come out of the cows and in our barns, but we also get shavings from a local feed mill, and that's bedding for our calves in our maternity barn. And we add that to the compost pile as it gets used. And then we get the fish waste from three different counties here. And yard waste, any animal that passes here is part of our compost system too. And just the other day when I was on a drive with Blake and looking at pastures and stuff, he had a clipboard with our ranch map on it. And he was identifying the fields he wanted to concentrate this fall where we're going to graze. And he calls it a 3X system. And and we graze it. And then we apply compost and kind of harrow it a little bit without breaking that sod. We're just adding that compost. And then maybe we'll throw some new seed varieties just to give that variety of plant life for the cows. And then in the spring, it's a brand new lush field that's so much better than it was a year ago because we did that special love to it in the fall of our compost system. And You are the first regenerative organic certified dairy farm in the U.S. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And that happened kind of not because we set a goal to be that. I'd say four or five years ago when when regenerative groups were just starting to come together and they were looking for pilot farms. We volunteered and we actually volunteered our daughter, Vanessa, to participate and be part of that and use our farm. And so in 2020, I think we were talking to Whole Foods and and getting ready to launch our our milk cartons nationwide. And we were telling them we were regenerative. And they said, well, golly, do you have a certificate or anything that can prove that? And so we went back to both those groups and asked for one if they could get get us something by January. And they did. And so we literally became the first certified farm in, in their system in the world on both groups. 
it is very helpful to have these certifications to understand because it is so murky. You know, we don't know how things are made. Um, one piece of your work that I, you know, I, I do want to touch on is A1 versus A2 enzymes and your A2 cow. Can you describe this whole transition? I've been reading obsessively now that I know about it, but I, I, I just want you all to share. A2 dairy is basically... Protein, not enzymes. Yeah, protein, not enzymes. Historically, all milk was A2. Mammal milk is A2. Breast milk is A2. Goat milk is A2. When we learned that people who couldn't drink cow's milk could drink goat milk, it's like this light bulb came on. And then we learned it's the DNA in the cow. You get one DNA A2 from mom and the other one from from dad, basically A2, A2. We all get it as people. And so there was a mutation historically, they think many, many years ago, not modern milk, but more like a thousand years ago, that was bred into the European breeds of cattle where an A1 came in. And what it is, is the beta casein morphine seven. So there's an amino acid chain, 209 links long. At one of the links, there's a histidine instead of a proline. And it causes this seven link chain in the amino acid chain to not break apart. And people drink dairy, the first thing they may notice, they get the phlegm. When they drink our milk, they say, oh, your milk is so refreshing. That's because your body's not trying to expel this foreign protein to your body that was mutated. So they drink the milk and then they get a bellyache because it's not breaking apart. That bellyache feels like lactose intolerant. But when they drink our milk, they don't get the bellyache because that protein is fully digesting. Then also now you have this foreign protein that floats around through your body that you digested and you're dealing with autoimmune disease. And the doctor says, get off gluten. Gluten's a protein. Get off dairy. Maybe you're sensitive to the protein in dairy. So they do and they feel a lot better. We have had people come back to dairy with our milk. They told us that they hadn't drank milk for five years or seven years or their little child can't do dairy and they're drinking it. And that little child tells the mom that it's heaven in a jag, mom. <laughs> so that's A2 dairy. A lot of consumers who have left dairy, you know, they've, they've left because they don't like cattle or they don't like confinement cattle or, they, you know, something. And, hey, I, I understand that. You know, we see that version. But I, I just want everyone to know that cattle are a wonderful tool in the regenerative ag program. They are absolutely the right animal to have out on the ground. And we need more pasture and more cattle grazing because that's how we ultimately sequester carbon in a plant-based system. And so our milk and our cows are, you know, supported by a plant-based system. Everything they, they consume is, is a plant that's growing out of the ground. And, and, in harmony with nature and sequestering carbon. And so that's a really important piece of the cycle. So you provide A2 dairy and you're also regenerative organic certified. What you built is such a special, unique company. The name of this podcast is Enough. And so I'm wondering, what have you had enough of? As in, what are the things that you're done with and can do without? I've had enough of people leaving dairy, real dairy. Go back to whole milk for your children. And sadness when you look at a schoolyard, how unhealthy children are today. And they need to come back to dairy. Give them that glass of milk after a sporting event. It's a better electrolyte and hydrator than some of those out there in the market <laughs> that are sugar-based drinks. And we just want to be a part of that healthy movement, bringing people back to real dairy and a reason, many reasons to come back, whether it's organic, regenerative, environmental carbon sequestration in the regenerative story, we're excited to be a part of that movement, bringing healthier kids 
into our world. It is so refreshing to find a company like yours where it's not about eliminating something, but looking at all of these other benefits. My two most important questions are, when can we come to visit the farm and when are you going to come out with an ice cream? I'm just, you know, asking out of curiosity. We, we supply a, a small ice cream maker out here called Alex Ice Cream okay. in, in California. And so I know he ships. It's available. So Alex Ice Cream. And uh, he's using our A2 creams and, and milk. That's so wonderful to hear. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we'd yes. encourage your uh, your listeners and your audience to come see us and, and just stop by the farm. And, you know, we've got a lot of people that love to show tours and, and, and show folks around. And, and of course, some of us are always here. Yes. <laughs> we love visitors. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am in awe of what you've built having, you know, I'm in nine years into building our company very slowly, but surely only working on the things that we really believe in, which means not growing as fast, not making as much as others. But this is the life's work that we want to do. And it's wonderful to connect with companies that have done that and are modeling that. So really, thank you for your time. Cool. Thank, thank you. you. Thank was... you, Aaron. And thank you for what you do and, and yes. your audience for listening. We really do appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. It was an honor to visit with you, Aaron. You're doing great things out there. Well, I'm sold on regenerative farming, but Aaron, you promised that you would reveal something that's most important to me, which is the ice cream that I should be buying. That is true. I did promise. And so the big reveal, if you didn't catch in the episode, is Alex ice cream. It's A-L-E-C apostrophe S. So go forth, consume ice cream. Googling immediately. Before we go, we're doing something a little new this season where we're actually including a piece of news that's grabbing our attention, something we think you all might be interested in hearing about because it was interesting to us. And so we have our incredible sustainability reporter, Asha Shabra, who is going to tell you everything you need to know about what's happening. So take it away, Asha. This week, it makes sense to consider the world of dairy because things are heating up when it comes to cows and emissions. Dairy farmers around the world are under scrutiny, and some are actually revolting. In the U.S., 70% of dairy cows live on factory farms, and 85% of the planet's milk comes from non-pasture-raised sources. The total number of dairy farms in the U.S. has fallen by more than half between 1997 and 2017, yet the average number of cows per farm has increased by 139%, according to the USDA. The largest dairies now have herds of more than 25,000 cows. That's pretty massive. And with that, the concern is that these cows are all contributing to emissions. As a result, some countries are starting to push farmers to make changes. And that's sending farmers to the streets, literally. In the Netherlands last year, farmers blocked the highway as the government announced a program to halve nitrogen emissions from agriculture by 2030. While it may be a noble goal, it means that some farmers who have herds as small as 120 cows would need to shrink down further or close down operations entirely. The same happened in New Zealand, a country known for its dairy. This has started the dialogue on how to make agriculture eco-friendly while keeping farmers employed and on their land. Regenerative agriculture, as we heard from the Alexanders today, could be a part of the answer. Thanks for listening to this episode of Enough. Next week, we're going to be talking about the next logical step from the farm, which is 
food distribution. And while it doesn't sound sexy, I assure you, it is very compelling. (laughs) That is 100% true. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Enough. The Enough Podcast is brought to you by Number 29, a media relations agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This episode was produced by Christopher Olin, Molly McEnany, and Mia Sullivan, with help from Juliana Clark. Special thanks to the rest of our team, Clemence Poles and Esha Shabra. I'm Melody. And I'm Erin co-founders of Number 29 and your hosts for the Enough Podcast. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others find the show and others like it. See you next time.